Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You have tuned into the Daily Roundup on this, a Wednesday, November 8th, 2023. I'm David Menzies and my co-host, well, let me tell you a little bit about my co-host. Folks, do you know that today is National Cappuccino Day? And my friend shall not be partaking in this holiday because, well... It's just not her cup of tea. Did you see what I did there? She is the <laughs> she-devil with a spatula. She is the Khaleesi of the greater Coburg area. She is Tamara Ugolini. How you doing there, Tamara? You know, it's always just so great, David, to be in your virtual presence and have those wonderful, enthusiastic introductions to our daily stream. So thank you for that. And um, I regret fully did not have a latte that's my my choice of uh <laughs> coffee if i had my way every day i would have a latte not a cappuccino but it was plain old coffee for me today um no time to stop anywhere for an extra cup of java um how you doing over there david you're well, in studio i'm sad to miss you today well tamara ugolini since you're asking i'm a little saddened and depressed given what you uh, just said um <laughs> i always look for the devil in the details the fine print and you said right off the hop it's always great to be in your virtual presence yes. that means you really don't like being up close and personal with me that's how i'm looking at that so you cheeky little monkey don't you think that insult didn't go uh by the wayside or Maybe you did mean something else. Maybe I'm overly paranoid. I don't know. Well, what were you trying to say, Tamara Ugolini? Well, I was going to say it's great to be in your presence, but then I realized that we're not actually in each other's presence. So I had to kind of uh, <laughs> correct my trajectory there of what I was going to say. Um, but uh, it's been a long time, David Benzies, since we co-hosted together. And uh, yes, regrettably, it is virtual today, um, but hopefully we'll be back in person uh, maybe next week. Um, okay, so I can't wait. Let me tell you that <laughs> I love it when you're next to me in the studio, Tamara Galini, even though you're real, it's really great for you when I'm just some virtual AI generated image on the internet, but that's okay. That's the story of my life. Go ahead, Tamara Galini, tell the folks what we're trying to do here today. <laughs> Well, eventually we may be trying to save time by bringing you an AI virtual generated form of David Menzies, but I don't think it would have the wit and the character that uh, you see here live in action um, in the Rebel News studio. But regardless, uh, today is Wednesday, November 8th. And if you're just joining us, this is our daily live stream where we dissect the news of the day and give you commentary on some of the items that we think will probably affect you the most from our elected officials and within the socio-political realm. So we're streaming on a few different platforms, Rumble, uh, YouTube, the censorious one, Odyssey, Getter, and Twitter. And then because YouTube is so censorious, um, we have been unfortunately completely demonetized from their platform for uh, wrong speak and wrong think. And so a really fun thing that we do for the daily streams is that we give our audience an opportunity to give us a small monetary donation, um, which you can do only on Rumble. They seem to be the more free speech oriented platform. And of course, through subscriptions on Twitter. 
Twitter. But anyway, for the purpose of this particular stream, if you're joining us on Rumble, you can give us what's called a Rumble rant. And that's, again, a small monetary donation helps fund our independent journalism and keep the lights on and uh, keep up with the rising costs of everything, but primarily our equipment um, in order to be able to bring you this kind of reports and journalism and um, and travel if need be to cover topics the way that we do boots on the ground journalism and David Menzies, our mission specialist, is great at that. So um, we'll we'll stay tuned for some of our Rumble rants. Thanks to everybody in advance who chips in there, and we'll we'll read your comment on air and or provide some feedback or commentary. It's just a great way for our viewers to get involved and for us to hear from you because we're viewer funded and supported. And so we wouldn't be us without you. Um, so thank you very, very much for your continued support. First and foremost, on the elected official front, we have some ridiculous um, words in the House of Commons by a former criminal, the Environment <laughs> Minister, Stephen Gilbo. Um, I suppose we'll play that video first and foremost, David, and we'll come back and share some remarks. Yeah. Um, shall we just throw to the video and then uh, dissect it on the other side? Mr. Speaker, so I was, I was sitting. Um, I'm, a, I'm a liberal and a proud socialist, Mr. Speaker. But this reminds me of a certain quote from Prime Minister Harper, who talked about the fight against climate change as a socialist plot. That's what the Conservative Party, and here it is, you have it again, Mr. Speaker. They do not believe that climate change is an issue. Yeah, so what are you going to do about that, Steve? Climb up the CN Tower again and get arrested? Uh, you know, I'll tell you, uh, Tamara, that was very revealing, wasn't it? I'm a mm -hmm. liberal and a proud socialist. I think um, he said something that we all realize, that under Prime Minister Blackface, this party has gone from the center-left to all-out socialism. In fact, if I'm Jugmeet Singh, I'm thinking, geez, wh why did I get into this alliance? These guys are eating my lunch. I mean, it's almost full-on Marxism. Uh, but there you had it from the words of the jailbird himself, uh, Stephen Guibault. I'm a liberal and a proud socialist. Um, I guess for those paying attention, nothing really newsworthy there, eh, Tamara? Well, that's right. It reinforces the fact that there's this unofficial coalition between the Liberals and those socialists, the NDP party. And um, as you say, David, it, it, it highlights how far left to that extreme the Liberal Party of Canada has moved. Um, I, I would call them at this point far left extremists. You know, everybody who questions the prevailing orthodoxy is painted as some sort of far right extremist. And so here you have actual far left extremists in the House of Commons admitting at face value that that is what they are, the proud socialist. Um, and I, I'm not sure that that's what Canadians originally signed up for when they, in a very small minority way, came out to vote for this party. But the proof is in the pudding now. You're seeing the socialist policies destroy our country, our social fabric, and also our economy. And I think that is having the effect to wake more Canadians up to the fact that these this is not something that's representative of a functioning democracy and country because look at the, the position that we're in currently. And, and you know, Tamara, on that point, I thought the other day 
there was going to be some really good news in giving other Canadians who don't reside in Atlantic Canada carbon tax relief when there was that open vote in the House. And I say that because uh, the NDP voted with the Conservatives, uh, shockers. Um, but I think a politically astute move for them, uh, when the next election happens, they're going to say, look, we went to bat for you. Uh, we tried to get um, the carbon tax relaxed, but it was no go. And it was disappointing uh, to America because I believe uh, the, the motion was defeated by 51 votes because you had the block um, as a block, no pun intended, voting uh, to keep the carbon tax where it is. And prior to the vote, there was a lot of speculation that there were going to be liberal MPs, especially those in northern ridings, especially those in northern Ontario, that were going to break with the government and vote with the Conservatives and the NDP because they have constituents in their um, ridings where, as the saying goes, it's either heat or eat in terms of where your budget's going to go. And shockingly, um, no liberal did the right thing and uh, voted for, um, I guess, sharing the wealth, uh, or that's not really the right term. It's um, uh, getting released from torture of this uh, carbon tax. And, you know, Tamara, it's very odd, isn't it? I mean, I remember Blackface years ago into his um, uh, rule having the infamous quote, a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. Well, I guess not when it comes to carbon tax relief. Uh, I guess he means when it comes to repatriating, oh, I don't know, terrorists. Hey, boys will be boys. He threw a grenade or two, but, you know, he's a Canadian, so we got to welcome him back. But for um, uh, a Canadian who's in their senior years, who is under a budget crunch, and it's either heat or eat, well... Sorry, Grandma, we're too busy saving the planet uh, to give you some uh, do-re-mi relief there. And I bring it all back full circle to Stephen Guibault because, as I understand it um, from those on the inside, Tamara, Guibault is actually furious that Atlantic Canadians are getting that um, carbon tax relief. He is so committed to his climate ideology of saving the planet, even though there's nothing we're doing in Canada that's going to result in moving that needle one iota. Mm -hmm. He is upset that at least some Canadians are indeed getting carbon tax relief. What do you make of that, Tamara? Yeah, I mean, the continued question that I have is how exactly does paying higher tax cool the allegedly warming planet or offset carbon. Um, a lot of people, you know, continue to point out the loopholes in this policy um, and how it is obviously contributing to inflation and exacerbating the suffering that Canadians are experiencing with the inflationary period that we're currently in and uh, just continuing to drive up the cost of everything. And the Liberals are so out of touch that they aren't even listening to the concerns of Canadians who are really terrified heading into this winter. And as you've, you've mentioned, the heat or eat, that is as a, a an allegedly first world country um, that used to be a place of wealth and, um, 
and uh, an abundance, it is hard to believe that we're at a place where not only the elderly are choosing to eat or heat, but families are struggling to feed their children, send their school, their, their children to school with wholesome lunches, fruits and vegetables. Um, the, the food banks have seen an, an insane increase in visits, not only by families, but by individuals. And as we mentioned a little bit this morning in our morning meeting, um, by international students. So the government has is obviously failing on many different multi-pronged avenues here. Um, and, and the rate of inflation just coupled with these increases to taxation, taxes um, are obviously harboring financial demise in this country. And when you have students, for instance, just touch on that immigration um, note quickly, who are being told, come to Canada, you can survive on 800 roughly dollars um, a month. Uh, that would include your rent, your utilities, your phone and your food. And when the international students arrive here and they realize that they need more than double that, like mm. at least $1,600 a month to cover all of those basic necessities. Um, it's no wonder that food banks are overrun and overwhelmed. And then of course, they don't have the capacity then to help the local families. And so the whole situation is very much multi-pronged and very much a disaster. And you have the liberals here just sitting back and probably thinking that, well, the budget will balance itself. And so all these problems will just eventually sort themselves out. Um, there doesn't seem to be any real desire or drive or tangible action plan to try to rein some of this, the, these crumblings in. And so the destruction continues unabated. And that is just furthered by this unofficial coalition between the liberals and the NDP. And I mean, the, the, the fact that they are voting down a motion to just put a pause on a card, the carbon tax that's showing to not even be doing any tangible good and causing this destruction. That to me speaks volumes as to where the liberals priorities really are, because it certainly isn't with the taxpayer. And you know something, folks, when Tamara uses the word an insane increase in food bank use, the stats bear that out. It was a few weeks ago that the uh, people who run the food banks in Canada had a uh, press conference, and it was revealed that if we go back to the year before COVID, 2019, compare food bank usage then to 2023, our current year, it has gone up 78%. No, not 7.8%, 78%. In four years. And, you know, Tamara, the most heartbreaking stat I heard uh, as a result of that uh, presser was the fact that in 2019, there were Canadians who were donors to the food bank network. And in 2023, those same Canadians are recipients. Can you imagine that? No, it's absolutely devastating to to think about. I mean, I know as a family of um, seven, we've had to make some serious adjustments to our food costs. And I look at at other families, and I I have no idea how people, um, the average uh, Canadian, is is getting by, because even the the not so average Canadian is struggling. And you hear that repeatedly. And then, of course, you have all. Um, the individuals who do who do own homes got in before this the housing crisis 
and um, their mortgages are up for renewal in the next year or two. And the way the interest rates are going, I mean, the whole, this is just a calm, so, much, so many compounding issues piling up on top of one another that are working against the average Canadian. The incentive to work in this country to be taxed nearly 50% of what you make, yep. um, there, it's, it's just no longer there. And the social systems that are in place to protect against some of these economic factors are, are obviously very strained and um, no longer functioning. And, and we just keep adding to the problem. We just keep ta- increasing the taxes, increasing the amount of immigra- um, newcomers, the immigration targets into the country, the amount of international students. Like nowhere do I see any party trying to rein any of that in to say, hold on, we need to pause on some of these frameworks and some of these targets because we need to figure out what is happening here at home on the front lines first before we go pandering to an international um, sphere. This, the, the state of affairs in Canada is a disaster and um, I don't see anyone really reigning any of that in anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, I see that we have a quick super chat here that I'll get to before we go to a Danielle Smith clip. Annalisa1964 gives $20. Thank you very wow, much. Thank you. She, I hope I'm assuming your gender okay, uh, says, sweet <laughs> menzies, please let <laughs> Sheila know that the video with you in kitty outfit backfired. I'm taking a screenshot of you, framing it to have it by my nightstand. Wow. Look at that. Well, there's no worrying about Annalisa's gender, Tamara Ugolini. Uh, she is 100% female. Actually, I've never met her, so I'm going out on a limb there and assuming so. But Annalisa, you are... You are so kind. Um, I, I, you know, both with your donations and with your compliments to me, um, that doesn't happen a lot. So thank you ever so much. <laughs> David Menzies, the trans cat, just what, 10 years uh, before the times <laughs> thought <laughs> such parody would become reality in a mere short time. Um, before we move on from the climate hysteria and the carbon tax ridiculousness, Premier of Alberta, Danielle Smith, yes. um, is highlighting the inequity involved in the um, choosing of the eastern provinces um, as favoritism, the Atlantic Canada has has received this tax break, um, but not none of the other provinces. And so she's calling it for what it is. So we have a clip of that to share with you. Well, you have a federal government that has consistently said that there's not going to be carbos. I mean, certainly that's what they've been telling my province is we've been trying to uh, address some of the issues that we have about some of the unfairness and other policies. But it does seem like they're prepared to do carbos when it's politically expedient for them. And that, that's not the way that we should be running the country. I think what everybody is concerned about is that if they are setting this precedent, that it's OK to have differential policy in an area that votes for liberals, but have not, not have the same policy elsewhere, then what else will it apply to? So I think this is part of the reason why you saw the premiers come together on this, is that if we're going to stick together on one thing, is that we want to be treated equally, we want to be treated fairly, and we want to be treated as partners in cooperative federalism, and the federal government isn't doing that. Oh, can you imagine, Tamara Ugolini, equality as opposed to equity, two totally different things. But no, clearly, uh, there's two things going on here. One is that the Atlantic region is a, um, there's so many liberal seats there. 
And out west, barely any. And you had, oh, I can't remember his name, Tamara. Maybe you can come to my rescue. Um, you actually had a liberal MP with the utter audacity and chutzpah to say, well, you should vote for more liberals in uh, <laughs> your neck of the woods. And then maybe, I'm paraphrasing here, maybe you'd get a bit of this carve out as well. Can you imagine being that blatant about the reason why there is this horrible discrimination between Canadians? There you go. Yeah, vote liberal comment by cabinet minister shows federal parties disdain for Alberta. Who is that person? I cannot read. And I don't remember uh, the development minister. It was just there. Um, What's that, Olivia? Goody Hutchins. Hutchings. Hutchings. Oh, okay. Thank you, Tamara. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it highlights the <laughs> the ir irony in how the Liberals run their platform. I mean, they're all about inclusivity, diversity, tolerance, equity, equality, um, all of those great words until it comes time to actually tangibly implement these sorts of policies. And then it's obviously discrimination is the name of the game. Um, and we saw that highlighted throughout the COVID pandemic pandemonium wherein prime minister blackface as david menzies would always say um <laughs> campaigned on the wedge issue of your vaccine status and advocated to discriminate against canadians who chose an alternative um or a con contrarian medical choice to what the state wanted of them and so they were deemed as these deadly super spreaders and they were unable to travel to fly to board a plane a train cross borders go into restaurants movie theaters etc cetera, etc cetera. and um trudeau backed that and his part his party platform during that campaign the snap election in 2021 quite literally had that as their platform um, and so, you know, you see that division and discrimination is the name of the game within the Liberal Party of Canada. And it's that that um, double speak, that Orwellian double speak that, that seems to be, oh, we're all about inclusivity, diversity, tolerance and equity. And that in yet our actions, which will speak louder than our words, show the exact opposite. Um, so you're seeing that again happening here in this unequal application of the carbon tax to the provinces and territories in favoritism of the provinces that are responsible for the election of this liberal government. Um, if, if Canadians can't see through this clearly, then I don't know what's going to break them out of this liberal trance that some people seem to be engulfed in and under. And, and, you know, Tamara, it's a double whammy, isn't it? Um, not only do the vast majority of Canadians not get carbon tax relief, but let's not forget, going back several months, uh, blackface telling the uh, heads of Japan and Germany that there was no business case. Uh, imagine blackface using the words business case, a guy who said the budget will balance itself. Clearly it isn't. But that just shows what a business case it would be to sell these two countries two thirds of a trillion. That's right. Trillion with a T, folks. Trillion dollars of liquefied natural gas. No, 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 no business case, but really it's more sanctimonious, woke, virtue signaling. Uh, Canada's gonna save the planet. We don't like fossil fuels. So go 
uh, pound sand, uh, as if our coffers, Tamara, are overflowing with money, as, as if we don't have a deficit or a debt um, that is atrocious. So mm -hmm. it's on, I think, especially if you're a Western Canadian, the, the, the moves by this government are just off the charts egregious. You know, you are not getting the rebate and you are putting a jackboot on the industry that develops fossil fuels, which would benefit all Canadians, I should think. But uh, mm -hmm. Blackface, he'll have none of it. He knows best, especially when it comes to the climate. And he's got his jailbird environment minister. <laughs> By the way, that I forgot. We can't call him environment minister. Isn't it environment and climate change minister? Didn't they add that in there too? And I'll just wrap up my rant by saying this, Tamara. One year and 11 months, potentially, we have to live through this. That to me is, I know time flies, especially as you get older, but almost two years until October 2025 when blackface has to call a federal election. Tamara, are we going to survive that? And I, I, I'm not necessarily, necessarily saying physically survive it, but it breaks my heart when I go down the street. I mean, I live in Richmond Hill. Let me tell you this. We moved there 25 years ago. Uh, I have seen businesses that were there before we were there, and these are like national franchises. Dairy Queen, Taco Bell, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Shuttered. They're gone. Not even they could hang on thanks to this government's policies. How are we gonna how are we gonna last almost two years, Tamara? Yeah, it's a great question, actually. When you said, How are we going to survive this? Literally in my mind, I'm thinking, remember the winter of death we were supposed to have? I think it was in 2021 <laughs> or 2022. The winter um, of whoever, death. <laughs> whoever wasn't getting COVID-19 vaccinated, they were all oh, allegedly okay. going to die. Biden coined it the winter of death. Um <laughs> Anyway, now I'm looking into this winter, and if we make it through another winter under the Liberals, I'm thinking there will be a winter of death because people won't be able to heat their homes and they're going to freeze to death. These policies are crazy. Um, but I digress. We'll go to a quick ad break, and we're going to come back uh, to chat about some globalism, and I see we have a couple of super chats to get to, too. Great. David Menzies for Rebel News here in downtown Toronto. And I got to tell you, folks, next March, March 23rd to 30th, to be precise, we are going on a Caribbean cruise. Can you imagine that? And a lot of your favorite rebels will be there, such as Sheila Gunn-Reeds. We got Alexa Lavoie, the big boss man himself. Of course, he'll be there, Ezra Levant. And how about this? How about this for the cherry on the Sunday? Tamara Leach, Canada's number one freedom fighter. She'll be on that boat, too. And look at the itinerary. We're gonna be going to Half Moon Cay in the Bahamas. And then we're gonna jazz it up in Oco Rios, Jamaica. And then there's Georgetown in the Cayman Islands. And finally, Cozumel, Mexico. Can you imagine that? If you want more details in terms of getting aboard the ship, go to rebelnewscruise.com. That's rebelnewscruise.com. All the details are there, the departure dates, the costs. And you know what? This is not just a fun-filled getaway. This is a way in which Rebel News raises some revenue. Unlike the mainstream media, we don't receive a nickel of government funding, nor would we take it if ever offered. So it's win-win. Enjoy yourself in the Caribbean and Mexico, and also support your favorite online news channel. So that's rebelnewscruise.com. 
I hope to see you aboard. Do you want to start feeling like your pre-COVID self again? You're not alone. The wellness company Spike Support Formula is an all-natural supplement to help people do just that. It was created by cardiologist Peter McCullough and his expert team of doctors to help the people experiencing effects from COVID and the you-know-what. Go to twc.health rebel today. I can hardly wait for that cruise to marry Ukulele. Oh, wow. March seems so far away. And the good news is, folks, there are still tickets available to get on that boat. Yeah, and I know it's called a ship, but, you know, to a landlubber like me, it's a boat. <laughs> Be a nice break from the freezing cold of the Justin Trudeau <laughs> country that we currently are under the reign of um we have a super chat here from bedrock gives five dollars thank you very much says how was the free speech and medicine conference would you go again and have you been interviewed elsewhere about it yes so the at the end of october i traveled to Bedeck, and i know in some of my videos i mispronounced the name so i apologize to everybody who noted <laughs> and highlighted that i mispronounced Bedeck. um Bedeck, Nova Scotia. And first and foremost, Bedeck is absolutely gorgeous. And especially we've had, uh, I think, I guess, thanks to climate change and the climate hysteria, we had record uh, high temperatures. And so the weekend was beautiful. Um, and so Bedeck is uh, nestled in Cape Breton. And um, it was an absolutely beautiful spot. The conference was amazing. We unfortunately got in really late the Friday night. So we missed the opening speech by Gad Saad, which I heard was was amazing. And unfortunately, um, the conference itself wasn't live streamed. There was no digital record. Well, they did record some of it and we'll be kind of slowly releasing those videos um, through the organizers, uh, emergency room physician, Chris Milburn and his wife, Julie. Um, but yeah, we had a great time there. Uh, got to hear a lot of really obviously taboo and controversial topics around transgenderism, the medical transition of children, safe supply harm reduction, and largely questioning whether or not it's actually safe or reducing any harm, which I think most of us can see the proof in the pudding that it is doing neither of those things. Um, and kind of continuing to untangle the censorship that we saw really highlighted and heightened throughout the COVID-19 response. And so naturally, free speech and medicine, the whole conference was centered around making sure that physicians can can express themselves and give their medical opinions without fear of arbitrary reprimand by their regulators, which we see still ongoing today. I think it was just last week that Dr. Mark Trossi was found guilty by his regulator, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario, for engaging in misinformation and, and um, being a contrarian to the COVID public health hysteria. So these things are still happening in Canada. Um, the reason why the organizers structured things the way that they did is because we were forced to be virtual so much throughout 2020 and 2021 um, that mingling and getting together in person is really needs to be highlighted the importance of having those discussions and engaging in debate um, in person the importance that 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 continues to have and so that's why they opt to have this in-person gathering not to stream it anywhere because it really you really get a, a value of 
what kind of discussion can take place when it is in person. And so anyway, to get back to the super chat, I would absolutely go again. I really hope that they host it again next year. It takes a lot of time and energy on behalf of the organizers to put it all together because it's just Chris and his wife. Um, so I hope they do it again. I would love to go again. And I have not yet been interviewed anywhere else about it. My last report from the conference went out, I believe it was Monday night. It was about plasmid gate. And so we can't get too far into the weeds on that in, on YouTube, unfortunately. Um, but that report is, is up on the rebel news website. You can go to my journalist page and find it there. If you're interested to see it because it didn't go on YouTube at all. So some people may have missed it, but we also have a feature report coming out through rebel news plus. And so I'm currently working on that with our head of documentaries, our senior producer, Kian Simone. Um, and so we hope to release that in the next, I would say probably two weeks or so. And if you want to stay tuned on that, you can just sign up and become a subscriber at rebelnewsplus.com. And then you'll be alerted when that feature report comes out. Should be about half an hour and kind of a more in-depth analysis about the conference as a whole and some of the keynote speeches. So I'm really excited. And that's what we're working on as the kind of the final wrap up of that conference coverage. Um, that's a very long-winded response, but I hope that answers your question. No, and Tamara, and, I must say, uh, that is a shame about Dr. Mark Trossi. I mean, going back some three years ago, uh, I originally interviewed him. He reached out to us, and we digitized his face and altered his voice and didn't name him. And uh, then he decided on his own accord, you know what, the hell with this. I'm going to put my face and my name to this. And I guess he had the right idea um, in uh, hindsight uh, to stay anonymous. And that is shameful because we see even medical science now becoming censorious thugs. If you uh, have a contrarian opinion, uh, if you don't march in lockstep, uh, not only Dr. Trozzi, as you know, Dr. Jordan Peterson, his um, governing body um, for psychiatry or uh, uh, psychology, uh, censuring him uh, for basically uttering common sense. And uh, on the flip side, I remember, it was funny, uh, this has come up, I uh, was just talking to our colleague Mike here, uh, in the early stages of COVID, when there was masking and social distancing and, you know, sanitizing your hands, et cetera, et cetera. I uh, can't remember her name, but it was some medical scientist with Harvard, no less, saying, you know what, there is a valid scientific exception for congregating in mass numbers if it's for a Black Lives Matter protest. <laughs> I mean, and that goes, hey, yeah, that's okay. Um, you know, and this isn't someone in the gender studies department, uh, Tamara. It's somebody in the uh, medical sciences department. This is a disturbing trend that we are seeing. And uh, I hope everything's going to be okay with Dr. Trozzi. He's a great guy, a great doctor, and a true freedom fighter. Mm -hmm. I remember that interview you did with him. I think it was May or April of 2020. And he mm -hmm. came on and he was at the time, as you said, anonymous, but whistleblowing the fact that hospitals were not overrun. They were the empty, they were as empty as he'd ever seen them yep. before. And that is really what based all the other public health decisions was that to protect the healthcare system. And two weeks into it, you know, two weeks to flatten the curb curve is what 
was used as the catalyst for increased restrictions and lockdowns. And um, after those two weeks, you had doctors like Dr. Trosi coming on and saying, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. The hospitals aren't overrun, aren't overwhelmed. We're emptier than we have ever been. What is really going on here? And um, there's no further justification for increased measures because our hospitals are fine. And so what are we doing? And that kind of led the culmination of him continuing to exercise and think critically about the response. And ultimately that has resulted in him being stripped of his license and his duties. And that is really a shame for the patients that are now left scrambling without a doctor and without a principled physician to treat them in their emergency room. You hear that hospitals and the medical community are chronically understaffed. Mm. Canadians and specifically Ontarians are scrambling without family doctors because there's a shortage. And yet here we are stripping ethical principal doctors of their licenses because they said, hey, wait a minute, none of this makes sense. And what you're telling the public is knee-jerk hysteria and fear-mongering because it's not actually true. Um, so that's really an unfortunate part of the COVID unfolding. And you see that it makes sense when you can um, garner that the it's very much captured by the pharmaceutical industry and their profits and their business model. So no, you're without so right. getting too far into the weeds there. <laughs> No, Tamara, I remember in that interview, I, I, I'm, I'm going from three years ago, but Dr. Trozzi said something to the effect of the other day he was on a 16-hour shift and he had zero patients to look at. Zero. He said that was the first time in my career. I just sat at my desk and read medical journals. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, the thing is, Tamara... I this didn't come as so much of a surprise to me and, and many of our viewers who conned on to the fact that if medical establishment people are being worked to the bone, uh, they're stressed out, they can't keep up with demand. Do you remember all those pseudo Broadway song and dance numbers they were they were getting involved in? I mean, are you nurses or the Rockettes? You know, I mean, yeah. do you remember that, Tamara? So, did oh, yeah. not quite local, compute with me. My local hospital, I remember, in April of 2020, put out a 14 minute collaborative um, collage of dance routines and it was horribly <laughs> done, horribly orchestrated, horribly coordinated. But I'm, I remember looking in the background and saying, there's no one there. There's the, the rooms are empty and you know, but people died. Like we're, we laugh about it, but people died because <laughs> they didn't get their surgeries. Their surgeries were canceled. Their medical care was postponed. And look at these like this is astounding. To Sorry, Tamara, that... I'm I'm not laughing at people oh dying. Uh, no, I'm laughing course. at the graphics. Uh, super producer Olivia has put on the screen of nurses, doctors, firefighters, uh, all doing these, uh, as you said, terribly uncoordinated dance numbers. No, it's no. just so perverse, and they've got their masks on. Thank goodness for that, right? <laughs> 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 Those ones are actually well done. If you saw the one put out by Northumberland Hills Hospital in Coburg, um, it was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. But and it it always baffled me because it was 14 minutes, and I'm thinking, how long did it take to actually film this, compile it all together, and then publish it? Like we saw 14 minutes, but guaranteed that was hours of work that went into that video. Um, oh anyway. yeah, the dress rehearsals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
but the hospital was empty and you could see it in the background. There was no patients, no one was there and people died as a result of those closures and those cancellations. And that is just an absolute travesty and tragedy. And for people that were blowing about that very thing, like Dr. Mark Trousey, yeah. he has now been stripped of his license and he's unable to practice medicine in the province of Ontario. Yeah. What a that strategy. Go after the whistleblowers, in. right? Unbelievable. Uh, absolutely unbelievable. We have a couple more super chats and and uh, I see we're already running out of time, but Fraser McBurney, thank you for your capital locks. He gives us $5. Why would anyone want to become a Canadian when they take the oath to become a Canadian? Uh, they take on over 85000 in debt from the federal and provincial debt, every Canadian man, woman, and child. Yeah, and we are seeing a trend. I mean, sometimes I read the comments. It's uh, former Canadians typically uh, giving a shout out from either Mexico or Costa Rica. That seems to be a hot spot um, saying, uh, basically, I told you so. And uh, they have basically moved their life. I mean, I, obviously not everyone is in a position to do that. Mm -hmm. But um, and I got to tell you, too, uh, Tamara, uh, 10 years ago, I went to Costa Rica, beautiful country. And, you know, they actually brag. They have T-shirts uh, bragging about the fact that they have no army, they have no air force, they have no navy. In fact, they they say Costa Rican uh, navy and and it's a fish. Uh, Costa Rican air force, it's a parrot, and so on. And I'm thinking, even with the state our armed forces are in, Tamara, I think we could take them. What what do you what do you think <laughs> about a ground invasion, making occupying it, making it the eleventh province, and we don't need a passport to go south anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be nice. But at this point, I'm like, everybody steer clear of Canada. Um, <laughs> unless there's some serious political reform in this country. Yeah. Nope, we need, uh, we need independence from Canada. Um, okay, let's chat about this globalism topic. And then we'll have to move on to uh, the protests and the, the poppies primarily with the law enforcement. But the um, as many of you may have already heard UNESCO, uh, the UN's has unveiled a global online censorship guidance plan. Um, and I have a clip to show you here, and I think it's only about a minute, so we should be okay to share it. But they, the UN actually has a <laughs> free expression chief, if you can believe it. And he did a 25 or so minute interview about these guidelines. Um, and of course, in there, he says, if we don't invest, you have to invest in the guidelines, right? It's all about money. Um, and if you don't invest in these guidelines, not only is democracy at stake, right? As usual, we have to censor everybody to uphold democracy um, in some weird, again, strange Orwellian doublespeak manner. But also if people don't, and I quote him, vaccine themselves, <laughs> it will cost public health systems across the globe. Have a listen for yourself. You need to invest money to have content moderation and curation in several languages. You need to protect your own employees. So all those things, they cost money. But you can think about costs, which is also important. But for the entire society, we also need to think this as an investment. Because imagine the costs, the real costs for democracies of the problems these things can generate. Or the real costs for the public health system mental health, but also during the pandemic, if people, because they don't have accurate information, they decide not to vaccine themselves, 
you have an actual cost for the public health system. So we need to think that this eventual cost that the companies, the governments, because they need to put in place new regulatory models, etc., they will have, they will need to put some budget aside, but the benefits for the entire public system, uh, they are absolutely much bigger than the eventual cost they will have here. I think he, I think he means the benefits for the big farm conglomerates. Mm. <laughs> I don't think he means the benefits for the system or the government or us, the taxpayers. I think he just means the benefits of big pharma. And so I actually have a full report coming out on those guidelines and I pull another uh, couple clips from his interview and some other notable pieces that I've compiled together. Um, and I hope that'll be out today, pro probably actually at this point tomorrow, um, because it's a lot. So please stay tuned for that. Um, I just think it's a little rich, uh, Tamara Ugolini, that uh, someone from UNESCO, uh, <laughs> therefore the United Nations, is fretting about democracy when this is a unelected, non-accountable body to begin with. Who voted for that jabroni uh, to get his position? And it seems to me, I guess it'll be more clear in your other reports, but he's arguing that we can achieve better freedom of speech by embracing censorship. <laughs> it's exactly that. Um, by <laughs> we have to uphold free expression and freedom of opinion by censoring content found online. Uh, uh, unbelievable. And, um, you know, but so, well, I'll look forward to your uh, future reports on that uh, because, yeah, another uh, shocking example of uh, globalism uh, being played out. And did you see that reporter just like nodding like one of those dogs you put in the back of yeah. your car with a spring in the neck, you know, uh, you know, just no challenging of the narrative whatsoever. Absolutely shameful. Um, but uh, I see we have another subject uh, sort of related. Uh, liberals cheer on World Health Organization's attempts at global health control. Good golly, Miss Molly. Tell me this ain't so, <laughs> Tamara Ugolini. Well, this also is a clip that we took from uh, the House of Commons Health Committee, wherein liberal backbencher Pawlowski his excitement with the World Health Organization's proposed pandemic treaty. And so this report um, delves into the two different avenues that the World Health Organization is utilizing to strengthen its mandate. Uh, in other words, to increase its control over the health sovereignty of independent nations. And one of them is through amendments to existing and legally binding international health regulations. And the other, which is the subject of this particular report, is through a new pandemic treaty or accord. They've changed the wording a few different times. Um, but I believe this was a week ago, give or take. Um, we have this clip from Pawlowski and also a response from the Federal Minister of Health, Mark Holland, where they're discussing that they, they love this idea and they think that these progressive propositions um, will essentially keep Canadians safe in the face of emerging health threats and obviously they keep telling us that the next pandemic is on the horizon so um here let's just we'll play this clip second thing i wanted to ask you about was who's new treaty on pandemic preparedness which is 
um, being negotiated and the first draft is out. I found the first draft very exciting with a number of provisions which I thought were very progressive. Um, one of those being a requirement that countries contribute annually to the fund to assist poor countries meet their obligations under the treaty. Uh, a second thing would be a benefit sharing provision whereby any products that were made from the genetic sequencing of any new um, virus would be shared between countries. Any products, 10% of those products would go free of charge to WHO with an option for further 10% to be sold at affordable prices to WHO. This is, I know, the only the first draft. I know this is just kind of coming back to us. But would our country be supportive of, of trying to get such provisions, which I think many of us at this table feel are in our national best interest because we know that much of the threat in terms of pandemics will come from poor countries who don't have the facilities to early on detect and respond to diseases. These provisions would help poor countries do that. I think it's in our best interest. Is Canada willing to try to support that in the further negotiations with a view to perhaps having such provisions in the final version of the treaty? And, and, and again, um, I know Dr. Tam, I think, has an interest in international health, too. And we have at least one other pediatrician. So um, so maybe we could start with you, um, Minister, and then we could ask if there's time, some of the others. Thank you very hey, much Dr. for the question. Dr. Poloski hasn't left you much time. Take 30 seconds, and we're not going to be able to run that around the table unless it's on a future round. Uh, just very quickly, I can say that uh, I met today with uh, the U.S. ambassador and we were talking about how we can work together um, to strengthen um, our, uh, you know, our two countries can work to support internationally uh, preparedness. Um, uh, and, and it's so important that we work with uh, our international partners um, to make sure that um, that we're. Uh, as prepared as we can be, not only in Canada, you know, and I mentioned uh, just today in question period going out to the facility in Laval um, that's being built with Moderna so we can make domestic capacity. But as you say, to help other countries to make sure that they're also ready, uh, not only to stop the, the, the death and the pain that would come uh, from lack of preparedness in those countries, uh, but because we also know that that keeps us safe. So the, the international work that we need to do is critical. Well, Tamara, yeah, I want to so hear you uh, analyze that because this is your file. I just want to say one thing. At one point in that clip, I noticed the chair touching his nose. I thought that was like a capital crime in the early days of COVID. That was an absolute no-no. But, uh, oh, well, so much for not practicing what you preach. Uh, but what do you make of all that? Well, and what I make of it aside, you have Conservative Member of Parliament, Dr. Leslin Lewis, who has put forward two different petitions on these topics um, with the World Health Organization and now including their, their um, pandemic accord and the, the International Health Regulations, which is acronymed the IHR. Um, but her first petition, I'm just going to pull it up here, and it's it's hyperlinked in that article. Um, yeah, and I have a clip also in that video um, of her presenting this first petition. It was E-4401. And so in this petition, she calls on the House of Commons to just simply openly debate the these regulations, what they mean for Canadians, what the um, continued commitment to the World Health Organization really means, and if, if it's actually benefiting us. And so um, Lewis calls for a debate, just, just simply let's discuss this, let's debate it in the House of Commons. That closed, or sorry, it was presented to um, the House of Commons on September 26th, 
with almost 19,000 signatures. And so I think the government has, if I remember correctly, 60 days to respond to that. So coming up in the next couple of weeks. But then shortly thereafter, she launched this second petition, E-4623. And this is much more strongly worded petition. She calls on the government to um, urgently implement Canada's expedious withdrawal, complete withdrawal from the United Nations and all of its subsidiary organizations, including the World Health Organization. That was launched on October 10th. It closes February 7th of next year. And it already has amassed over 47,000 signatures. Wow. That to me is huge. Um, and, you know, there's a bunch of whereas. And really the basis of this is, is she asks, um, do these entities bring more harm than good with programs like Agenda 2030 and its Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs? noting that they have serious potential to negatively impact various aspects of the lives of Canadians from their cultural values to personal freedom. And as we see with the carbon tax, the economic um, instability uh, will come as a result of these globalist socialist agendas. Um, so that is what I kind of center the report on and highlight what she's done there with her petitions. And I think they've garnered her an amassed a massive amount of public support. And um, I guess we'll see how the Liberals respond in a couple of weeks to that first one. And as I said, the second ones will be closed in February and submitted sometime thereafter. So um, at least we see some form of an opposition to these globalist regimes in the House of Commons, finally now after years of unfettered adherence to their agendas. Fantastic. And as I said, only one year and 11 months ago, potentially, <laughs> until regime change. You know what, Tamara, why don't we take our second ad break? And then on the other side, why don't we get into, oh, I don't know, the war on the poppy. Yeah, I can't believe mm -hmm. I just said that, folks, but I did. We have a few examples. Uh, so we'll take it up on the other side. Hey, Ben Shapiro here. This November, the Wilberforce Project is bringing me to Canada. If you want to fight the woke machine destroying families, join me in Calgary for my talk, hosted by the Wilberforce Project. Go to benshapirolive.ca for info and tickets. Come on out November 25th. It's all aboard the Freedom Train in Niagara-on-the-Lake. You can check Rebel News for updates and also the Freedom Passport site. Tamara Leach, who led the Truckers' Convoy, will be sharing the stage with some of the finest international recording artists, like the Chops Horns from New York City, who's played with Alicia Keys, Stevie Wonder, the Rolling Stones, and many more. Plus, New World Sun, just off a European tour, and the legendary R&B master, Leroy Emanuel. Get on the freedom train with Tamara Leach. Saturday, November 25th at Niagara-on-the-Lake Central Community Center, 680 York Road. Get your tickets today at freedompassport.ca. The freedom train is coming. Know your rights. Know your freedoms. 
So, Tamara, I've been informed we have a hard ending at 2 o'clock, so I'll make this uh, very brief, and I'll get to the other uh, Palooza stories uh, in the days leading up to Remembrance Day, Saturday, November 11th. But this no, one, no, David, that's fine. Yeah, let's let's touch on this because it's it's we you know it's newsworthy. Yeah, it it, it felt like a a gut punch to me reading this story. Uh, namely, Jim Henderson, uh, a seventy eight year old veteran in Scotland, selling poppies, and uh, oh, those lovable pro Hamas types. They were coming down to the subway um, to do who knows what. And for some reason, he was a target. And I mean, for the love of God, Tamara, why would an almost 80-year-old man selling poppies for charity? And by the way, once he saw how hostile these pro-Hamas people were, um, he decided, uh, you know, to beat it out of there, not for his own personal safety, not for his own belongings, but to protect the money he raised for the charity that the poppy sales uh, go to. And yet he was kicked and punched uh, in the back, uh, no less. But what would you expect from cowards like the pro-Hamas people? Um, what I'm just trying to connect the dots here, Tamara, maybe you can help me, is that uh, I don't care what side you're on in any kind of global conflict, the Is Israel-Hamas war, Ukraine-Russia, but a senior citizen standing there, you know, selling poppies for a charity, this is deemed a target? Why? It is absolutely disgusting, especially um, a veteran, right? And I was raised um, in an era, and maybe kids these days, and I sound so old saying that, but maybe kids these days aren't raised to simply respect your elders. Like what happened to basic decency, basic respect, and especially our elders, not nonetheless a veteran. Um, this is absolutely disgusting. And it just shows the awful way that children and youth are being brought up in society today. I think that it, it highlights the complete um, failures of parents, as many of them become increasingly kind of like woke, progressive, and um, all about, uh, you know, kind of steering away from the rule of law and more into like, well, how does that make you feel? And, and, oh, you have a say. And mm. instead of saying, no, I'm the parent, I'm the adult, this is the rules, this is the law of the law land and this is how you act and behave as a contributing member of society um and, and so we have this this parenting style that is no longer upholding any sort of form of respect but also the school system is such a failure for many of these children and um there is no more discipline there's no form of punishment there's no repercussions there's no consequences for your actions and so that unfortunately, unfortunately leads to this kind of behavior that we see targeting this poor old veteran who's just trying to sell some poppies and is just an utter disgrace. And, and that's to put it nicely and lightly um, that he had to leave, not I would fear for my own safety, but also to to protect his the money that he had collected. I mean, this is just such an atrocity. I hope that there's a reprimand for um, these individuals who, well, who physically accosted this man. 
Oh, I, I agree with everything you say, but I think when it comes to these pro-Hamas demonstrations, both in the UK and around the world, um, because of the lack of law enforcement getting involved when laws are being broken, because of the lack of politicians coming out and condemning this garbage, these demonstrators by the week, Tamara, are getting more and more emboldened. And why wouldn't they? And it was just mm -hmm. last um, weekend in London, England, that the war memorial was vandalized and desecrated by these pro-Hamas types. And that's leading up to a potential uh, brouhaha this Saturday in London, England, which is basically um, the pro-Hamas types are saying, yep, it's another Saturday, another mass demonstration. And you think they would have the decency to respect at least one Western value, i.e. the day in which we pay respect to the veterans and those who made the ultimate sacrifice in war. But no. And to the discredit of UK politicians and the Metropolitan Police Force in London, they're telling the veterans, uh, can you know, I know uh, November 11th is, yeah, it's kind of a big deal for you, but can you just stay at home and come out Sunday for the parade instead? Uh, because these um, Hamas types, uh, well, you know what, they're a little hard to control, you know, and uh, it's better for us to um, caution you than them. This, uh, I don't think, this might be the wake-up call, I think, to the people in the UK, that no goddamn way, pardon my French, are we going to surrender November 11th in terms of paying respect and reverence to the veterans and to the war dead. And I think there's a big potential for a clash that day. And I can tell um, our viewers, uh, Tamara, we're not going to sit by as bystanders, our beloved colleague, Alexa Laval. She's going to be flying into London for that day to cover what might happen. Now, don't get me wrong. I hope it's a nothing burger. I don't want to see violence. But I'll tell you this much. There is a critical mass of people in the UK where this is enough is enough moment. Imagine that, Tamara Ugolini, you have served your country or you have a relative that's paid the ultimate sacrifice and you're being told by law enforcement and the government can you just, you know, tone it down, stay at home on Remembrance Day Saturday? Uh, because, well, you know, these pro-Hamas types, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion and all that, right? No, sorry, no way. Yeah, what was that? Justin Trudeau said diversity is our strength. And meanwhile, um, across the pond, they're protecting the, the lawless yep. and the lawlessness by suppressing the lawful, and I think that is highlights how peak bizarro world that we have come, the, the peak bizarro world that we live in. Um, just absolutely absurd. I look forward to Alexa's reporting and to see what unfolds there. Um, just being mindful of the time, we'll get to a couple of these super chats. Sure. We had one from Damam. Thank you. Gives $5. No need to freeze to death. The government already has a made solution. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> again, I, I chuckle about that, but um, this is real life. Um, you can get state sanctioned euthanasia in Canada very easily. And so if you can't afford your bills, well, I guess that I think that's a criteria now that you can ask for medical assistance in dying, um, which is, as I mentioned, state-sanctioned or um, doctor-sanctioned euthanasia. You and, know what? Um, that's Tamara, a great place to be in. Just listening to you, I had an epiphany. Maybe this is what 
Justin Trudeau meant some 10 years ago when he said the budget will balance itself. He wasn't talking about cutting expenditures. He was talking about cutting the population. I mean, if we don't have to pay their medical bills, their Canada pension, uh, that's a, a plus in terms of the federal revenue. But then again, he's let in so many uh, illegal aliens. Um, I think we're gaining more on that side of the ledger than those Canadians who are saying, uh, I've had enough, uh, you know, uh, take me uh, home to heaven. So um, but maybe that is indeed what he meant in terms of the budget shall balance itself. Other than that, I've got nothing. (laughs) Not a very far off plot twist, if you ask me. Um, memory hole gives $5. Thank you. Personally, I'm moving to the, the Thailand, just moving to Thailand, um, where even lady boys are still considered men oh, <laughs> and shares a link there from the mirror where Thai lady boys proudly turn up for national service in skirts and makeup. Um, yeah. And they're trans, trans women in Thailand. Um, I'll have to read through that later. Uh, that might be the one thing. I mean, I love Thai food. It might be my favorite cuisine of all time. Uh, the idea of tropical beaches. Well, you had me at tropical beaches. But I remember it was a British uh, men's magazine. I think it was either FHM or Loaded. And this is going back some 15 years ago, Tamara. And they had a center spread. And it was a Thailand beach, beautiful sunset. And there was these 10 women in bikinis. And the question was, um, which of these ladies is actually a biological male? And Tamara, I stared and I <laughs> stared. I'm looking for the Adam's apple. I'm looking for any facial hair. Um, I, I did my best, yeah, I guess, number seven. Anyways, you turn to page 82 for the answer. Guess what, Tamara Ugolini? Trick question. All 10 were biological males. And it oh, was wow. like, you you would have deceived me. So just the very idea that I might end up with my own personal crying game is kind of keeping me away from Thailand as much as uh, it has to offer. <laughs> this is really interesting. And this is actually, I think, men um, showing up for national service in skirts and makeup in order to be (laughs) exempt from having to enroll in the military. Um, Anyway, I'll have to look uh, further into that that page, but thank you for that share. Uh, Wrong Way 54 gives $5. Uh, Any update on the sister suing the Toronto general for murdering her sister for refusing to put on a useless muzzle when she had trouble breathing to begin with. I think that was your uh, story, wasn't it, yes. David? Thank you, thank you, thank you for reminding me. I mean, geez, Tamara, I'm sure you'll agree. We have so, so much on our plates. Uh, that is definitely worthy of an update. I have a feeling, though, and don't quote me on this, but just because of how slow the courts move these days, I mean, it was already uh, pretty bad pre-COVID, folks, Post-COVID, it's worse than ever. I bet you there might not be anything new to report in the case of uh, Stephanie Warner and, of course, her sister, Denise. Um, But I will reach out and make that call. And if there's something new to report, we'll get her back on and find out um, what's what. Absolute travesty there. And um, the one instance where I am thankful for security cameras. (laughs) 
because without them, you would have had no idea what actually happened to this poor woman who I think she did have her mask, but it was just down, right? She was having some sort of um, psychosis episode. And we many people who suffer with the muzzle um, can relate that that would exacerbate a mental crisis. And um, this poor woman, just absolutely. And that's, you know, the COVID cult. And if you didn't pledge your allegiance to the COVID cult, you yeah. were treated like Dr. Mark Trousey, who has lost his, his license to practice medicine. So um, peak bizarro upside down world once again highlighted through the actions of the state and its subsidiaries. Yeah, call me old school, call me a crank uh, to Mary Galee. But I used to think that you went to a hospital to, you know, get better, uh, not die. Well, of course, now with MAID, I guess it's a bit of both, isn't it? But um, yeah, that was atrocious. And to your point, thank goodness for uh, video security um, cameras. Uh, folks, I can't stress this more. Whenever you're in any kind of situation and you feel that it's going sideways, um, if you have a, a cell phone with camera, and most of us do, take it out and start recording, even an audio recording, because we Mm -hmm. live in a society increasingly, Tamara, I'm sure you'll agree, that if there's no video evidence, it did not happen, you know, and you've got to make sure you have that presence of mind. I know in the heat of the moment, a lot of people might not think that way. You really have to capture these kinds of incidents or else it's going to be covered up. And a lot of people, when I mention that to them because, you know, we get lots of tips and a lot of people contact us uh, regularly for reports. And I say, do you have that? Did you record it? Do you have a recording? Do you have audio, video, whatever? Um, Is it recorded anywhere? And people often ask me about two-party consent laws. And so in Canada, we do not have two-party consent laws. You can record someone, you know, within reason. You don't want to be exposing them or have any sort of explicit content um, that you are recording. But in Canada, you do not need the consent of the other party to record them, whether that be audio or or, video. visual video so no we don't have to oblige like when we were at the world health assembly in berlin germany they do have two-party consent laws in germany and so you can't record someone without their explicit consent um you know there's always little stipulations there and loopholes and what have you especially as it pertains to public officials but um general rule here in canada is we do not have two-party consent laws you can record somebody and there was an incident just personally that that kind of brought up this memory in 2020 my children had a medical appointment at a hospital an out-of-town hospital and um, at that point they had hired private security to man their front doors to ensure that everybody complied with the mask mandate now my myself um and my children were exempt. Uh, None of us had symptoms of COVID. It was completely, uh, it was a follow-up appointment for something completely unrelated to any sort of respiratory illness. I think it was in August. So like not at all respiratory virus season. And the security guards were preventing us access to the hospital, even though, you know, mask exemptions were built into all of these rules and regulations and um, stipulations. And so as soon as I got my phone out to start recording the security guard, their tone changed completely yeah. and oh well how can we accommodate you and and I said you know the hospital is a scary place for a little kid and, and now you have all these people in gowns and shields and masks and looking like complete robots very dehumanizing experience especially for small children 
you're already nervous going into a medical appointment. And um, so I started to really highlight the harm that they were imposing psychologically on people and especially children with these policies and then to further kind of other or dehumanize the person who's just trying to get to the medical appointment without having to put on a useless, completely useless facial diaper. And so it's funny that you you mentioned that, David, because as soon as I brought out my phone and I started recording, their attitude changed completely. And um, they said, oh, you can't record here. And I said, with all due respect, this is public property and I can, and I'm not recording you know, to get your faces or any of the other people here that are making their way into the hospital, but I'm recording to protect myself. And um, as soon as I said that and had the phone out, their tone changed completely. So it does make a difference. And um, I, I think that it's really important to know your rights and to be prepared to take those sorts of actions if you're feeling like something's not going in a way that it should, but also not going in a way that's lawful. Oh, 100%. Um, and Tamara, one last footnote on um, what you were saying about single party consent in Canada. That also includes phone calls, folks. So if you're being, you know, screwed over by a government official, a bureaucrat, what have you, and you're in phone conversations, record the call. There are apps to do that. Or you can go old school, put your phone on speaker and have a digital recorder uh, record the call. Um, as long as one person knows it's being recorded, you know, in other words, you, uh, that's fine. That's the case, too, in most U.S. states. There's a few where you need uh, consent. Michigan, for example, I have no idea why. But um, there is nothing illegal in recording a phone call with anyone. Where it's illegal is that if Tamara and I were having a personal phone call and a third party were tapped into that call and recorded it, that's illegal. But if it was between Tamara and I and one of us wanted to record it for whatever reason, um, maybe an HR complaint. <clears throat> anyway, uh, <laughs> that is perfectly okay. <laughs> there you have it. Unsolicited legal advice from David Lenzies <laughs> and Tamara Ugolini. And with that, we're going to wrap up the daily stream. Um, some Rebels will be back same time and place tomorrow from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern. You can find us on all those various platforms. And of course, as always, on our website, rebelnews.com. Thank you to everybody who makes the stream possible from our super producers who are always getting us the visuals to share with you on screen and what we're talking about and provide some added context there to uh, the writers and everybody compiling the links and to make sure that you can find us and are easy uh, we're easy to access through social media platforms. So thank you to everybody because not just David and myself who make this possible. There's a whole team behind us that uh, put a lot of effort into this every day. Um, and so with that, David, do you want to uh, give your sayonara? As always, folks, stay safe and stay sane. The winter chill is setting in all across the country, including here in Alberta. You might be able to see my breath, but I've got a solution for that annual problem. It's here on the billboard behind me. Now, normally this billboard tells travelers on Alberta's busiest highway, Highway 2, just south of Edmonton, about our latest causes, our fights for freedom, or books we've published. Today, it's inviting you to join us for some fun in the sun. We're talking about the Rebel News Cruise, a week-long Caribbean cruise departing March 23rd with your favorite rebel personalities, including me, Ezra Levant, Alexa Lavoie, David Menzies, and many more. And of course, the woman of the year, Freedom Convoy leader, my friend, Tamara Leach. We depart from Fort Lauderdale. From there, we go to the Bahamas, Jamaica, the Cayman Islands, and then Mexico. And we're not just bringing your favorite rebel personalities, we're bringing along some of your favorite thinkers and people you see interviewed all the time on Rebel News. 
But if you're thinking about booking the cruise, get off the fence and make a decision because this billboard receives 1.3 million monthly impressions, which means the cruise will fill up fast and I don't want you to miss it. For all the details about the Rebel News Caribbean Cruise, please go to rebelnewscruise.com and let's sail away from Trudeau's frosty winter for a week together. For Rebel News, I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed.